Good day. I said good day. This is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris, uh, bringing you your weekly Tech Law 10 as ever. I'm joined by my colleague at Quarterly, uh, Jonathan Armstrong. Uh, Jonathan, I have this feeling that you've been musing about these new disruptive technologies, if you will, and the new landscape we're starting to find ourselves in, and you're considering some bumps in the road and wondering what they mean. So maybe you can enlighten us a little bit generally, and perhaps you even have an example or two. I have indeed, Eric, and uh, w welcome again to the podcast, and thanks for the introduction, Eric. As we discussed last week, I was in the U.S. last week, and obviously the pace of change there, I think, is even greater than over here in terms of disruptive technologies. We hear every day, for example, how lawyers are imminently going to be replaced by robots, and I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. But equally, I've been thinking about sometimes, I, I think I've acted for startup companies, you know, almost since the start of my professional career, and often startups in all walks of life try and get uh, lean and mean and quick, and there's nothing to be criticized about any of that. But I think what we've seen recently is really a magnifying of problems that some uh, startups have had with rapid growth, particularly when they've left compliance and their legal responsibilities and things like infrastructure behind. Now, of course, it's always easy to bash an established player on price when you have less overheads. We've seen that, for example, in the airline industry, where some of the uh, newer airlines have got less overheads because they sweat the planes, they make them work harder, they make their staff work harder, and sometimes they pay their staff less. But I guess it's become even more apparent with some of these new uh, disruptive technologies. And to give you an example, Eric, since you asked, those of you who follow me on Twitter will have seen that it was a fairly crazy end for the week for me on Twitter last week after I had an episode with uh, Uber and particularly their lack of response. Um, I had more than 6,000 views of one tweet, um, almost 60 retweets. And what that was about is that I've noticed, and talking to friends as well, I don't know whether anybody else uses Uber, but they did have a no-show fee. I had a particular episode on the podcast about that, so I won't go into it in detail, of a driver not showing up. I rang him to ask him why he'd, uh, you know, where he was, because he didn't seem to move. And he basically uh, said he would be there in one minute, didn't turn up, but Uber still billed me because, according to Uber, I think, he showed up and I wasn't there rather than vice versa. Obviously, it's a nonsense. Uber have traced it back and apologized. But their view seems to be that I have to sort it out, which obviously isn't the law. The law is, without being overcomplicated, is what's called a DCF contract. So I paid by credit card. The credit card company sorted out with Uber, not me. And, but, but my wider point really is about the fact that often startups of whatever frame don't invest in law, compliance, and infrastructure which are the things that give them permanence rather than a temporary structure. And, and I, I guess the world has always been the same, 
And I guess we could say, I don't know, the Carnegie Railroad companies invested less in infrastructure and that got them a market advantage. But I, I wonder if that's just me, Eric, or if that's a trend you've observed as well. Well, what I've been trying to figure out, Jonathan, is whether you're a legal robot. You brought up <laughs> whether we might get replaced. <laughs> Am I dealing with a real human being over there? But actually, folks, I can attest to the fact that Jonathan is real. We've been in person together. We've even podcasted together in the same physical space. Uh, but sorry to Jeff. And it is interesting you had uh, 6,000 uh, Twitter views. Pretty soon you're going to rival uh, our commander-in-chief in terms of your, your tweeting. Um, but I think, you're, you know, all joking aside, I think, you know, you made some interesting points. And, you know, it's not surprising, I believe, that when you have startup companies, you know, they are oftentimes really scrambling uh, economically. And so it's not surprising to me that in the beginning there isn't um, the investment uh, in legal and in compliance. And oftentimes, you know, when I've met with startups and I've advised them in Silicon Valley over the years, I say, listen, you need to get your ducks in a row here. You need to do things like have the proper employment contracts. You need to make sure you're making sure that you're protecting your intellectual property um, and having the proper uh, agreements among the founders. And oftentimes they're like, well, we're just friends and we're in this together and they don't want to document. And then also, you know, hiring uh, legal, um, especially when you're not dealing with robots, because I certainly don't advocate legal robots. You need a real person. You know, it can be relatively expensive. Um, however, it's a smart investment on the front end, and it can save a lot of trouble on the back end. And then even if you have a startup that hasn't um, perhaps, as you and I would think, invested appropriately uh, at the get-go for legal and compliance, you know, they do start maturing over time, and they do have greater resources as they grow. And at that point, they certainly should deploy uh, the proper resources toward uh, legal compliance, but they may have already established a culture where that's not the case. And so uh, you can have, a, you know, many, of course, many startups, most startups fail, let's be honest. But some of them really grow exponentially, uh, and they can have market value in, you know, in the billions of dollars. But then once in a while they sort of cream a little bit out of control, and they can be brought down at least to some extent by their legal problems. And I'm not pointing fingers at any particular company. I'm speaking quite generally. So does that resonate with you, Jonathan, what I'm saying here? I think it does, and of course, sometimes the model is, is predicated on the income that they can generate. I mean, some uh, would say, for example, that with ride-sharing, let's say, if you get 20% of any you know, wrongfully earned revenue on the site, then, then that's mm. difficult for you to be the policeman and the revenue collector at the same time. And again, mm. I guess that's just something that... Um, that, that more regulated industries have dealt with uh, for many years, and those disruptive technologies are, are just getting to grips with. But I agree with you. And I think in the long term, of course, it goes to value because, generally speaking, even uh, you know, the most uh, uh, entrepreneurial startup like this usually needs to raise money, and they need to raise that by uh, selling. Uh, stock or by selling themselves and that of course is where new world hits old world and all of these things like infrastructure compliance uh, you know their, their ability to do business legally uh, that's that's when the rubber hits the road for that really 
You know, I love your point about new world meeting old world because oftentimes when the startups really start to grow exponentially, you know, they're obviously the new world. But at some point, they actually reach out and they bring inside people with experience from the old world to give the appropriate structure. Don't you agree? I think that's right. And I think we can think of all sorts of businesses, you know, Facebook, for example, being yep. one that the, that the founder was smart enough to hire people older and with more business experience than he had at the time. Yeah, good, good, good. Well, nice topic, Jonathan. Uh, sorry about that one experience. Uh, fortunately, it was, it was minor, and it certainly raised a much larger general issue. So that being said, I'm Eric Sinrod. It's Dwayne Morris. You can reach me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. I believe this is our podcast number 210, so going strong. I, I, think, I've, I think I have that number correct. Um, you can find us on the usual social media networks and outlets. And I'll turn it back to Jonathan to close it up. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, thanks very much for that, uh, Eric. Do share your views on this or any other topic on our LinkedIn page. I'm jonathan.armstrong at cordycompliance.com. And we look forward to speaking with you again in a week or so. Thanks for listening. Cheers.